So good morning. Um, we're going to talk about today, Matthew, kind of a short passage, but I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to see here. Matthew 21, 18 to 22. And uh, mine is uh, Jesus curses the fig tree. There's a parallel in there as well. And um, I'm going to try to stay on fairly well on script. If you have, did you guys get a copy? There are copies in the back. If I get one, okay. Yeah, I, I made some copies, so um, I'll try to stay on script, but I made no guarantees because sometimes I go this way. I'll let them get theirs. So it says, in, starting in 18, it says, In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So the cursing of the fig tree is for some a difficult passage to understand. We have to look not only at Jewish tradition, but also a little lesson in horticulture to get the full meaning behind Jesus' actions. And um, if you'll flip over to Mark 11, starting with 12, you'll see the parallel passage in Mark. And if um, if you remember last week, we talked about that Mark tends to have things in chronological order. This happened now, this happened now. And and Matthew tends to have the topic and talk about the, the, the individual topics. So sometimes when you see this, it's it's not, uh, they're not at opposed to each other, the, the different verse or the different books, but they complement each other. So if you look at Mark 11, uh, starting with 12, and I got to get to the right page. Okay, so so Mark says in 12 on the following day. Now this is um, if you look at the triumphal entry and um, the fact that he came in late. He saw what was going on in the temple. We talked about last week. They went back to Bethany, stayed at the house of Lazarus. So Mark puts this in chronological order and says, On the following day, when they had came from Bethany, he was hungry, meaning Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And we'll talk about that. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard this. So then Mark goes in in the next verses about uh, Jesus cleansing the temple. And then skipping down to 20, so Mark says in the next morning, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And get to the right page. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, 
and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So Mark fills in some of the holes, some of the, the enriches it, explains the exact order of things. Matthew talks about the important part of what Jesus did in cursing the fig tree. So as Jesus and his disciples returned to Jerusalem from Bethany, he became hungry. So you know, he was in the flesh, he became hungry. Seeing that the fig tree was leaped out, went expecting to find figs to eat, but it was barren. So fig trees, here's your horticulture lesson for fig trees. Fig trees generally set their fruit before they leaf out. So in that day and age, if you saw a leafed out fig tree, you can make that assumption that it had fruit on it. So that's, that's the, the horticulture part of, of what we're talking about. And uh, <clears throat> so even though Mark mentions it wasn't in his passage, the season yet for figs, this tree was an early bloomer, so to speak, and should have been laden with fruit. If it had leaves, it should have fruit. Um, most people that have orchards know there's a time for fruit. And uh, I've, I had a, a variety of apple tree. It's a, it's a little different than this. But I had a variety of apple tree that produced apples that were ripe in August instead of September or October. So it was, early, it was an early producer, an early bloomer. So this tree um, should have had fruit on it. It had leaves, should have had fruit. Some people question whether Jesus destroyed someone's personal property by cursing the tree. And, and some people are like, you know, well, that's kind of mean. You know, that, that's some guy's fig tree and you just killed it. Uh, not, not necessarily a good thing, but we have to keep everything in perspective. And, and then this is one of the things. Matthew points out the tree was by the road and some... Uh, some versions say by the wayside. So in those days, and here's Jewish custom, those days it was accepted practice that if a tree or a vine, any kind of fruit producing, uh, food producing plant wasn't fenced in, then travelers going through there uh, were welcome to harvest some of the fruit as they went on their way. And also by being by the wayside, it could have just been a volunteer fig tree that came up along the side of the road. It doesn't really say one way or the other, but um, that was just accepted. If, if it was fenced in, you, you didn't climb the fence and pick the figs. But even if it belonged to someone, if it wasn't fenced in and it was by the road, then it was accepted practice that if a guy's walking along and he's hungry, he can pick a few figs and have, have something to eat. So, so Jesus is not cursing someone's tree particularly. So why does he curse the tree for not bearing fruit? <clears throat> so if you look in scriptures, and I, I didn't quote dozens of scriptures, but there are dozens, maybe hundreds, I don't know the number, that compare the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, to trees or vines with the idea that as a people, they should be growing and producing fruit. A um, couple of things, and uh, I printed them out, but if you look up Jeremiah 8.13, I'll give you a second if you want to go there. Jeremiah 
Sound of Pages is awesome. So Jeremiah 8.13, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Keep that last sentence in mind, what I gave them has passed away from them. And then Hosea 9.10 Making you work a little bit today. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. This, this is pointing right to this cursing of the fig tree. All this stuff points right to this. Then one of my favorites is John 15, 5 and 6. John 15, 5 is my favorite, but you've got to read 6 that goes along with it. Well, if you just read 5, it sounds pretty good, but there's, there's 6. Um, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Six, though, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So we have to keep Scripture in context because, you know, stay, stay, abide in Christ, stay in Christ, bear fruit. But if you're not in Christ, you're going to be burned in the fire. It's simple as that. So Jesus uses the withering fig tree as a show-and-tell moment for the disciples to teach them about faith as well as the coming judgment upon Israel. His cursing of the fig tree wasn't a hangry moment, if you've seen those commercials. That's hungry and angry kind of mixed together, right? Hangry. So it wasn't anger that caused him to curse this barren tree. It was a teaching moment. It was for a specific purpose. Some people say, well, well, why did he have the right to do that? He's God. He has it's everything in the earth. All in it, all in it is his. It, he has every right. We don't question God's rights in anything because God is God. And you can look these, if you get the notes, you can look these guys up later. But Michael Wilkins comments, it says, Just as the fig tree's fruitfulness was a sign of its health, So fruitfulness was a sign of Israel's faithfulness to the covenantal standards. Now that Israel, especially represented by its religious leadership, and we're talking about the Pharisees and all through this, has perverted the temple practices and not repented at the appearance of Jesus, Messiah, proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, Israel is being judged by God. This is what's going on here. D.A. Carson says the cursing of the fig tree is not so far out of character for Jesus as some would have us believe. The same Jesus exercised demons so that 2,000 pigs were drowned in 8:28-34, drove the animals and money changers out of the temple precincts with a whip and says not a little about the torments of hell. Um, <laughs> perhaps the fact that the two punitive miracles, the swine and the fig tree, are not directed against men 
us should teach us something of Jesus' compassion. He who is to save his people from their sin and its consequences resorts to prophetic actions not directed against his people in order to warn them of the binding power of the devil through the destruction of the swine and of God's enmity against all hypocritical piety, the cursing of the fig tree. You know, when I was younger in, in the, the passage about him sending, <clears throat> sending those demons into those pigs and those 2,000 pigs went into the sea and were drowned, I mean, I was raised on a farm and it's like, well, that doesn't seem right. What about the poor farmer? He just lost 2,000 pigs, you know. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, that's a lot of pigs. Um, but it comes back to the sovereignty of God. You know, what happened when that, when that happened, what happened? He drove those demons out of, a, out of a person, someone created in his image. So it's not, about, it's not about the pigs, really not. It's not about the fig tree, even if it did belong to somebody. It's about a sovereign God showing that we, there is judgment, but there's salvation as well. Yeah, that, that troubled me for a long time but, until I figured out God is God and I am not. James Montgomery Boyce says, <clears throat> this is also what will happen to every merely outward church. I want you to listen, people. Every merely outward church Any gathering of people who show the green leaves of apparent spiritual prosperity but who fail to possess the fruit of the Spirit. Nothing is so obvious as the truth that religious words without spiritual fruit are worthless. Yet few things are so common. Ryle also wrote, Open sin and avowed unbelief no doubt slay their thousands, but profession without practice slays its tens of thousands. If we belong to Jesus, we will produce spiritual fruit. And if we do not, we do not belong to him. There is no middle ground. If you are in Christ, you will produce fruit. Now, some of you think, oh, man, what's that mean? What's fruit? What does fruit mean? Do I have to do some great and powerful thing for God? That's fruit right there, bringing a pair of shoes. That's that's fruit right there, packing a box or bringing stuff. That is spiritual fruit. That is serving God and ministering to other people. That's our fruit. If you're not able to do those things, it's, it's praying for another believer. It's praying for the lost. It's those, it's those things that are fruit. Don't think that it has to be some great and powerful, you know, I get caught up sometimes in reading Spurgeon and some of those guys, and it's like, man, that guy is awesome. And, but that guy is not awesome. What God did through him is awesome. It's not about Charles Spurgeon. It's about what God did through Charles Spurgeon. It's never about us. So produce fruit. Matthew 21, 21 says, um, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, no, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And 22 says, Whatever you ask for in prayer, with faith you will receive. Psalm 37, 4, tie in it with that. <clears throat> Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And 5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. What's Jesus, what's he telling these guys? What's he telling the disciples here? Um, well, think, first of all, he's going to the cross. 
He's going to be raised on the third day. He's going to spend time with them. He's going to give them the Great Commission. And they're going to, they're going to perform miracles, he says, even greater than me in his name through faith. So that's part of what they don't understand this, I don't think, at this point. But he's, he's laying the groundwork for what they're going to do. But what does that mean for us as well? So these two passages that I just read in Matthew 21, 21 and 22 and Psalm 37, 4, taken out of context, and this is just one, have led to this word of faith movement. People believe they can have anything they ask of God if you have, have enough faith. 21 and 22 must be kept in context to the rest of the chapter and the events taking place. Moving a mountain was a commonly used phrase in Jewish culture for something that was impossible to do by man alone. We talked about this several weeks ago that, you know, sometimes it's not literally they're going to pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea, but they're going to do things that are impossible without God so that God gets the glory. So when people see, well, that is God, that's not the guy, then God's glorified through that. So that was the lesson for the disciples about what they would later accomplish for God if they remained faithful and kept their right relationship with Him. So if Israel can fail to measure up and produce fruit, it's an important warning to us today. As we read in John fifteen five, if we remain in Him, we will bear fruit. This is not an option of the Christian life, but a requirement of it. James said, faith without works is dead. Now, does our fruit, does our works save us? Absolutely not. But if we're in Christ, we we're, we're, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be saying, you need to be serving, you need to be doing this. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, whatever talents you've been given that He's asking you to use for Him, don't hold back with that. Use those things. So the good news is a couple of things. If you're a Christ follower and you're not bearing fruit, he will in no way cast you out. He tells us right here in his word that if you belong to him, he will not cast you out. But you can begin today to use the talent he's given you to glorify and honor him. So if you're under conviction to do something, there's plenty of things to do. But if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as repenting of your sins and yielding to His call. Repent means turn away. C.S. Lewis once said, we can't go back to the beginning and change that, but we can start here where we're at and change the outcome. So sometimes as sinners, we feel like we're just too bad. We've done too many things. But how could God love a sinner like me? And, and each and every one of us here that belongs to Christ was just as bad a sinner as the other one. I don't care what you did. So God's given us his grace to cover those sins. That's why he went to the cross. That's what this is all about that we're talking about. He's going to the cross for us. His desire for us is to have a personal relationship with him where we're growing in the light of his grace. Um, you know, I've talked about uh, talked about fruit. There's some good examples of fruit right there. I love these. That's what gets me is when it's an orphan and they got a shoebox and 
that, that gets me. But um, sometimes it's just simple love for each other is our fruit. That, that the world will look at us and say, wow, look at, the, look at those people. Look how they love each other. Look how they care for each other. They've got something there. I want to know more about that. And that's what we're here to do is to share the gospel with those people. But not only share the gospel with the lost, but as fellow believers to love in community. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. To be actually a community where we know each other's faults, our weaknesses, our strengths. When we're hurting, we, we laugh and, and rejoice together. We mourn together. That's what church is. That's, that's what Christ is calling us to be. Why did, he, why did he curse the fig tree? It's a picture of Israel. People will say, Israel, we need to be good to Israel, which we do. They were God's chosen people, but they rejected Christ. They need the gospel just like any other lost believer. They will, God's not going to jerk them up into heaven unless they come to Christ. Mark says that tree was dead to the roots. So they had their opportunity and they rejected him. But thank God that his plan was for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you. and It's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. And uh, it's about these people here that I love. And Father, I just pray that we would just just be a a body of believers that, that shows that love through everything that we do. Father, whether we agree or disagree on things sometimes or uh, we have different opinions on things, Father, that's, that's just our human nature. That's just us. But at the end of the day, Lord, uh, we are yours, and you have called us to certain things, Lord, to produce fruit, to love and care for one another, uh, to, to be a, a family, Lord. And, uh, and, Father, that's my prayer. That's my prayer for, for all of us, for this church. and. For the churches in the community, Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for their service. And, uh, Lord, help us be a church that reaches out to the lost, that, uh, that none should perish, Lord, as you desire. We just uh, lift these things up to you and just pray them in your name. Amen.